morning. We want to welcome you here today, and we are so glad you're here with us. If you are joining us this morning online at the 9 o'clock, we have hosts available for you throughout the service. You can push the prayer request button to talk or pray with someone at any time. Right now, whether you are here or online, I would love to invite you to stand, if you are able, in body or spirit, for our call to worship, which comes from Psalms 139, 1 through 5. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So when God says he has us hemmed in, it means he has us totally surrounded. We are not confined, but protected and directed by his hand. Let us worship together. Thank you. 
Will you give life? Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making a way known to the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth. Mystery of the cross. 
Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this time to be in your presence, to lift up our voices, Lord. We thank you that you are here with us today. Father, as we hear your word today, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes, Lord. Help us to really hear what you want us to hear, Lord. And I pray that you would just uh, be with us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad uh, that you are with us today on this beautiful day. Uh, It's an exciting day. I hope you all have had an opportunity to meet our Pastor Jeff, who started with us last Sunday. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, But we are so glad that you are with us today. If you're watching with us online, uh, we want to extend a special welcome to you there as well. There's a place for you to click that online connection card just to let us know that you were here with us this morning. Uh, That'd be great. Uh, If you're in person, there's a little uh, connection card on your chair. Uh, You can complete that as well. Or if you'd rather, you can text the word here to uh, that number on your screen or scan that QR code. And uh, thanks for all those that have already taken advantage of that online uh, registration. That's been a, a nice feature for us. Uh, it's a great opportunity for you to engage and connect with us at Springbrook as well. So if we can uh, pray for you, you can text the word prayer. Uh, if you're in student ministries and you want updates on uh, there, you can text students. And so it's been a great opportunity for us to engage with uh, our congregation as well as families uh, in our community as well. And so if you have any questions about that, just text the word help to that number and it will help you. Uh, but we're so glad that you are with us today. If you are a uh, leader in our student ministries, you should have received a, an email last week. Uh, Pastor Jeff is going to be meeting with our student ministry leaders uh, immediately following the second service, uh, 1230 in the conference room. And then uh, we're excited. Kyle Holmes, our new worship director, is going to be starting with us. He'll be here next Sunday. I won't be. I'm on vacation, and so, but you'll have an opportunity to meet Kyle Holmes. will be with us next week. Um, if you are on the worship team, um, you should have received an email uh, about a meet and greet for Kyle uh, next uh, Tuesday evening at 6.30. And so uh, we've got some meet and greets scheduled for some of our new staff. Um, Pastor Jeff will be meeting with our small group coaches Uh, coming up on uh, Tuesday morning, and then we've got some time scheduled uh, for all of our small group leaders. Uh, You'll have an announcement uh, about a meet and greet for him as well. So we have two key staff positions. We have uh, a new office assistant's going to be starting uh, week after next, Barb Tennyson. Uh, Rebecca stepped into our new uh, uh, position for children's director, and we're still trying to hire a children's ministry assistant. And so I was telling somebody last week, I would not wish five staff changes on anybody. (laughs) But God has been so faithful, and we have got a great staff at Springbrook. We've got great leaders. We've got a great other board, and we're so glad that uh, you can be a part of what God's doing in and through our ministry. In fact, I want to invite Pastor Jeff to come out now. He's got a couple of announcements uh, for you with regard to uh, student ministries and small groups. Jeff, I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) So welcome, my friend. Hey. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. This is a dream for me to be here to serve all of you. It really is. It's something, you know, more than 10 years in the making for me. And so if you can ask me about that sometime. But thank you for all of you that have been so welcoming to myself, to my wife, Sarah, who will be here later. I have to go and get her. Uh, she has a broken foot, so I've got to drive her and the family. But then also with my, my kids, thank you so much to, to those of you that have already loved on them and um, Hopefully you get to meet them. You'll see them tearing up down, hopefully not running too fast in anybody. But, but speaking of kids, our Thrive 
uh, your student ministries, you know, this evening, you know, 6.30, so 7th graders, you know, through 12, uh, we have our uh, kind of bi-weekly hangout. And so this is a good opportunity for them to come and uh, meet me, but also to have some fellowship amongst each other and, and with Kyle. And um, if you want to see a bunch of 7th graders creamy and knockout, that is a good thing to come and see. So, uh, you know, please, if you have students, you know, bring them. We'd love to have them there. And also the uh, student ministry schedule is, you know, on the website. If you want to take a look, the Waffle Wednesday is coming up, you know, this Wednesday morning as well. So uh, you take a look at that parent email or the schedule there, and that will tell you everything that you need to know about uh, where to have your students and when if they'd like to participate. And I hope that they would. So, um, so I want to talk to the men for just a minute. I keep hearing here about all the 60 ladies, you know, that sign up for these, you know, Bible studies, and that's wonderful. Keep doing that, please, and bring more and more. But men, we can't let them put us to shame. We need to, we need to be attending things as well. In fact, my call to pastoral service happened in a men's ministry meeting. There are, you know, wonderful things that happen at these types of meetings. And so July 17th, that's next Monday at 645, they have the men's monthly, you know, gathering, the power-up. You know, please, you know, go ahead and attend that. And uh, you know, I will try my best in order to make it out there as well. I would, you know, love to meet a bunch of you and, and see all the wonderful things that are happening at that. So, so thank you again. And uh, you know, Pastor Tim will be out here in just a moment. Life is filled with noise. Have you noticed that? Everywhere we go, we're just surrounded by noise. Granted, my family may be noisier than some, but everywhere we go, there are messages just constantly on. We, we, we get in the car, the first thing we do is we switch on the radio. For some, uh, you get into home, first thing you do is you switch on the TV or something just to have some background noise. Everywhere we go, we're inundated with messages. And of course, we live in a, in a time in, uh, in the history of the world where we have more access to more kinds of noise than ever before. And one of the dangers of that is that when we are surrounded by noise, we don't always take time to filter what those noises, what those messages are communicating. Sometimes when we're surrounded by noise, it's difficult to get alone and to be quiet and to stop and to reflect. And sometimes uh, we are so inundated by noise and by different messages that we simply don't know how to prioritize the message or the sound of one thing over another. And while it's true that at this particular time in history in which we are, are, are living, we probably have more noise than at any other time before us, and this issue of trying to filter out messages is one that 
has been a struggle for God's people throughout the generations. In fact, uh, last week we began this study that we're calling Grow in Grace through this New Testament letter of Second Peter. And as Peter, the, the biblical author, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing to uh, believers in, in general in his day as well as to us still today. And last week we saw he gave a tremendously encouraging message but reminded us that we are to continue to grow in our faith and to do so until Christ returns, to be diligent to do that. But amidst all of the noise, even of his day, there were all sorts of different messages, all sorts of conflicting information. And as we turn to the scriptures again this morning, we're going to see that he's really concerned with why it is that we should pay attention to the scriptures above all of the other messages that we might be surrounded by in our culture. So if you have a, a copy of the Bible with you this morning, I certainly hope you do. If you don't, please know that we do have some uh, Bibles out in the lobby. If you don't have one of your own, you're welcome after the service to grab one as our gift to you. We just ask that you would bring it back with you week by week. But as you grab your Bible now, go ahead and join me in the New Testament letter of Second Peter as we uh, dig in again to God's Word and as we discover why it is we should pay attention to Scripture even amidst all of the other noises that often seem to attempt to drown it out. Second Peter, beginning in chapter 1, I want to read to you our passage, and then we'll dig into what's taking place here. Beginning in verse 16, we read, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by uh, by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp that is shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, it helps if we get our context here a little bit. Last week, as we were uh, studying together through the opening portion of this letter, what we saw was that that, uh, uh, Peter was speaking about the importance of recognizing that in Christ we have everything that we need. And therefore, as a result of the the incredible provision that God has given to us in Christ for us to grow in godliness— that we should be diligent in that growth. We should keep on growing in Him, not forgetting what He has done for us, but in a sense striving forward continuously as we await that day of Christ's return. 
But you see, there is a problem in Peter's day, and it's not too different to the problem that, that uh, exists in our day today. And that is that as something of, if you like, a backdrop to what he's writing here, there were those in his time who were basically false teachers who were saying, what's the point? Uh, and nothing ever changes. Uh, you, you apostles, you, you talk about Jesus returning, uh, but, but, but that's really just a myth that you are making up in order to manipulate people to live a certain way. In fact, they, they denied the reality of Christ's return. And you see, the problem with that, at the root of what these false teachers were teaching, was that if Christ isn't coming again, then there is no judgment. If there is no judgment, then why bother to pursue godliness? Instead, do whatever you want, because it makes no difference. But for Peter, he is passionately concerned about this. In fact, we're going to see this come up more in the coming weeks because we see in 2 Peter chapter 3, where we'll be in a couple of weeks from now, uh, that he addresses them directly. Uh, He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming, of Christ's coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, they're just saying, we don't see anything. We don't see any difference. You know, God's not bringing judgment right now. So, so, so why pursue godliness? Why take this whole Jesus thing seriously? What difference does it make? But Peter, as he writes this letter, is concerned that we understand the faithfulness of God's promises, the truth of His Word, and the reality of the fact that Christ died, Christ rose, Christ ascended, and Christ is coming again. And so with that as the backdrop we find ourselves here in this passage that I have read to us from Second Peter and chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And that's why he begins with this statement, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather we were eyewitnesses. And so he opens this passage. He wants us to understand that Christ's powerful coming, his coming again, is not a myth, but rather it is a certainty. And he's going to root that certainty in the the eyewitness account of the apostles here in this passage. And and so the, the, the reason he wants to make sure that we understand this is not a myth, is because it's important that we gather that what we read about, what we've heard about Jesus is not some made-up fantastical story. More than that, it's not a manipulation. It is not something where the apostles or a group of, of, of 
pastors at some point in history got together and kind of came up with this idea of, well, if we do this, then maybe we can control people or we can guilt people into a certain way of living. And there's a lot of people in our culture, even still today, who look with suspicious eyes upon the church as being a, a, a place where, where there's sort of like guilt that is being laid upon people. Sadly, there are some churches where, where that is a tool that is heavily wielded, but it is not what the scriptures speak about. Instead, he says, no, the reality of Christ's coming is a historical fact. It's rooted in history. It's not a spiritualized uh, notion. It's not something where we talk about the fact that Christ is coming again, and we're just talking about, well, you know, he's sort of just, his, his, his spiritual presence is with us, and so that's the coming of Christ. No, Scripture is abundantly clear that Christ is coming again, riding on the clouds of heaven, not as a baby, but as a conquering ruler and king, and that when he comes, it will be physical, it will be visible, it will be certain, and every eye shall see him on that day. I'm going to dig into that more in coming weeks. But he says, I stand as an eyewitness. Peter the apostle points back to something from his own life and says, this is not a cleverly devised myth, but myself and some of the other apostles, we are eyewitnesses to the reality that Christ is coming again. And this is an essential part of the Christian life and experience that we understand this. And so he points here Verse 17, he says, For when he, when Christ, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we might ask ourselves, well, what's he talking about? Uh, Peter, what are, you, what are you saying here? Okay, so you're eyewitnesses of this thing, but of, of what? He's actually pointing here to the events of, uh, that are recorded in Matthew chapter 17 that we often call the transfiguration. Immediately before chapter 17, we find ourselves in Matthew 16, 27, and Jesus himself prepares his disciples. He's telling them about the fact that he will come again, but he's setting up what's going to happen in chapter 17. He says, Jesus says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so, Christ's coming with the angels here in the glory of the Father is coming again and bringing judgment. Just a few verses later, in Matthew chapter 17, it starts with these words. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. This word transfigured literally means to uh, be transformed uh, uh, for his glory to be revealed. And so he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, 
there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you will wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I think that Peter was petrified. He didn't have a clue what was going on. He's like, um, Lord, it's great that we're here. Um, uh, how about I just go over here and build these things? But he's missing the point. But then it says here, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. So this is what he's pointing to here in our passage in Second Peter. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And so Peter is saying, listen, we, we, didn't, we didn't come with a myth. We didn't come with a made-up story to try to manipulate anything. In fact, we are, we are giving you uh, the truth uh, of which we are eyewitnesses that Christ, the glorious Lord, is himself the only Son of God. And as Matthew 16, 27, in a sense, introduces... Uh, we then see in the transfiguration, if you like, a, a preview of what it will be like, of the glory of Jesus when he comes again. And so actually, here in the transfiguration there in Matthew 17, we see a couple of things. First of all, Christ is clothed in glory by the Father. Uh, this is pointing to the fact that, that Jesus is indeed all that he claimed to be. He is the only Son of God. He is Himself fully divine. And so when we, when we talk about Jesus being uh, uh, fully God, we are not making this up. We see this testified from heaven in the display of His glory, and it will be clearly seen to all when He comes again. We also see in this passage in Matthew chapter 17 that Moses and Elijah appear. And, and this is significant because there's a couple of things. First of all, it shows us the reality of life with God beyond this temporal life. There are some who have this idea that, that this earthly existence, the here and now, is all that there is, and then the end. Uh, uh, we are uh, all destroyed and there's nothing beyond this. Well, we, we see here Moses and Elijah uh, are, are testament to the reality of, of life with God beyond this temporal life. We also see here in this passage that Jesus is shown to be superior to Moses and Elijah. And that's really significant because within the Jewish mindset, Moses was like top dog. He was the, the figure that they looked to. He was the one uh, who, was, who received the law and led the people out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. But Jesus is shown to be superior to Moses and to Elijah. And again, in this passage, there's lots going on, but uh, uh, it also shows us that the law, which was represented by Moses... And the prophets, which were represented by Elijah, in other words, we can really talk about the whole of the Old Testament 
the law and the prophets, the whole of the Old Testament, bear witness to the person of Christ. And then finally we have this voice from heaven, this cloud that descends, and the voice of God the Father himself declaring from heaven that Jesus is the eternal Son. And so Peter says, listen, we didn't make this stuff up. Uh, We're not coming to you with stuff that we came up with ourselves, but this took place. Oh, and by the way, the transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, is actually rooted in Psalm 2, in Psalm 2. Just a portion of it here, quoting from the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 2, I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So this psalm is speaking about the Messiah, is speaking about the the eternal Son of God and how he will be uh, uh, revealed. And so this is even pointing to that fact of the transfiguration. What we see and what Peter is doing here in 2 Peter is he is building up his case. And he's saying, listen, this is important. While there are some who are saying, none of this matters. This is all a made-up story. Don't be fooled. While there are some saying, "Ah, do whatever you want because Christ's not really coming again. He is, in a sense, warning us If you are in Christ, do not be taken uh, astray by that. But continue, as we saw last week, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be diligent about it until he comes. And these passages do remind us of the reality, not only of who Christ is, the reality not only of his coming, but of the fact that when he does come, He will come as ruler and judge. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we need not fear because even as we sang a little while ago, uh, um, uh, the, the Father's wrath has been completely satisfied. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ because of what he did in his death on the cross, his resurrection to life, by faith, You have now been forgiven of your sins and the righteous and holy wrath of a good God has been poured on Christ. So we no longer bear it. But this message is equally an encouragement for believers and a warning for those who have yet to trust in Christ. We don't like to preach this very often, but we need to. It's unpopular, but it's essential. Friends, if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, 
right now, this day, this moment, you stand under the wrath of God. And there is coming a day where you will stand in his presence and be judged. So I would plead with you, do not reject Christ. Do not turn from the forgiveness and the grace that he offers. Because all sin against a holy God will be punished. It has either been dealt with in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ or it will be dealt with in an eternity apart from God in hell. This is serious. Our world wants you to believe that nothing else matters beyond the now. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is a judgment to come. But thanks be to God, those who are in Christ will not be condemned, but will be with him forever and ever and ever. Where are you today? Do you know his grace? Do you know his mercy? Have you received his forgiveness? Or is today the day that you need to get before God and say, God, forgive me. I have lived my own way. I have, I have lived for myself. I have rejected you. I've sinned. I need a Savior. And this day, I accept your invitation. I turn to you in response. I want to live my life for you. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you call on him? But Peter doesn't just want us to understand that Christ's powerful coming is not a myth, but it is a certainty of which they bear credible eyewitness testimony. He wants us to comprehend the importance that we need to pay attention to the Scriptures because they are the very Word of God and they bear witness to the certainty of Christ's coming. And so he goes on here in our passage back in 2 Peter to say in verse 19 and following, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And so uh, this eyewitness account uh, of the transfiguration, he's saying, is fully consistent with the prophetic word of the Old Testament. Now, we need to understand he's not saying that the Old Testament needed something to confirm it in order for it to be true. And in the Christian life, we don't need to look beyond the Scriptures for something to authenticate the Scriptures. They are true in and of themselves. The point that he's making is, what I'm teaching you about the certain return of Christ is not something new. Everything that I'm talking about when I'm talking about this eyewitness event of the, of the transfiguration, it is actually foretold and spoken of in the Old Testament through the prophets. So it is utterly consistent. He says that those who are in Christ 
therefore, are wise to pay attention to the Scriptures and to the certainty of Christ's powerful coming again. And the reason he gives is he says because, you see, the Scriptures, God's Word, the Bible, is like a lamp that shines in a dark place. This is something that we see again throughout the Old Testament, this imagery of God's Word being like a, a lamp. Um, uh, Pastor Rich, uh, some weeks back, was leading us through a study in Psalm 119. And in Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And here, Peter is using that same kind of imagery. And he's saying, listen, uh, you do well to pay attention to the Scriptures because they provide this, this light in a place of darkness. And, and, and he's talking here about the, the fact that as we take this, this journey through life in this world, we need a light. Uh, we need a light to uh, uh, help us because light gives clarity and it gives direction in the midst of darkness. It helps us to see. Uh, our family went out, as probably yours did as well, or certainly many of you, to, to see the fireworks um, this past Tuesday. We were up in Woodstock, and so we were in Emerson Park after the fireworks were over. After you've been gazing at all of those fireworks and kind of the bright and the flashing lights, we then had to take the, the worst part of the evening, which is when you've got to lug everything back to, uh, to the car and load it all up again. And so we're walking along with everybody else, and I took a flashlight with me so that, first of all, we didn't lose any of the children, because that's frowned upon, um, but also so we could see where we were going, because, because unfortunately a lot of the people who were there didn't pick up stuff after themselves, and there was all sorts of stuff on the ground. And so we wanted to be careful where we were stepping. And so I'm using this because it was able to guide my path. And Peter says, you do well to pay attention to the Scriptures because we are, in a sense, walking in a dark land, and the Scriptures provide us with clarity and with, uh, with direction amidst the darkness. But what's more, when we think of this image of light that he's using here, light also provides hope and strength to endure. You know, sadly, throughout this past century, there have been many atrocities committed both in times of peace and in times of war. And there has been, not only in this last century, but throughout history, many different forms of torture that have been uh, developed. In fact, even I think of one form uh, in a, a beautiful castle in England called Warwick Castle. I visited there a number of times. It's, it's, it's a spectacular place to go and see, but you can go down uh, to the dungeons. And not only are the dungeons very unpleasant, but there's one place in particular in the dungeon where there, there is a, just simply a grate on the floor that you can open up, and it is a deep, dark hole, barely bigger than a human body. And what they used to do for the vilest of offenders or those who had displeased the Lord of the castle 
is that they would just stick them down in that deep, dark hole. 20 feet beneath the bedrock of the castle. Cold, dark, no light, deathly silent. And what Peter is saying here is that darkness is not an easy place. Followers of Christ do well to pay attention to the scriptures because not only does it give direction, but in a place of darkness, when everything else may feel like it is stripped away, where the situation may seem dire and hopeless and helpless, light gives strength. To endure. Friends, I don't know what you're going through as we gather here this Sunday morning, but amidst all sorts of noise in our culture, amidst an encroaching darkness as we journey through this world, pay attention to the scriptures find hope and strength in them because they are unlike anything else, unlike any other message, any other word that is there. In fact, Peter tells us that we need the lamp of Scripture, and we need it continuously, he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that we will continue to need the light of Scripture to help us to make sense of everything until the day that Christ returns. There there will never be a single day where "Eh, I don't really need that. But rather, Scripture is relevant It is uh, applicable, it is clear, it is God's word to us, his people, to help us endure and to sustain us as we continue to walk in the midst of darkness. The day that he's referring to here in our passage, as he talks about this uh, in verse 19, until the day dawns, this is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of Christ's return. Again, as we've seen, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of salvation. It's a major theme throughout the Old Testament, and it's a major theme that Peter's going to pick up in the third chapter, as we'll see in a couple of weeks. There, he's going to refer to it as the day of judgment and destruction, as the day of the Lord and as the day of God. But But he says here, we need to hold on to, we need to pay attention to the scriptures as to a light shining in a dark place until that day when the morning star arises in your hearts. And what he's saying here is until Christ comes again. In fact, again, in scripture, we have this image of of Christ being a star or the morning star. Back in the, the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 24, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And then the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And so Peter here is using this imagery. He's talking about the coming day of the Lord, and he's saying we need to pay careful attention to God's word, uh, what it says about the return of Christ, and to all that it says, to all of the promises of God. And we need to pay attention to it day after day after day until that day when Christ comes. When he says, when the morning star arises in your heart, this is not saying that the return of Christ is going to be like some inward mystical experience. But rather, he is talking about the fact that on that day, things will change. You see, imagine for a moment what it would be like to, uh, to uh, have a loved one who is far away, but you are receiving love letters from them. You'd probably cherish those letters and perhaps uh, pour over them and go back to them again and again and again. But then when that loved one comes, when you are physically present with them, you're not giving all your attention to the love letters anymore because the, the object of, of which those letters are speaking is there with you. So Peter is saying we need to pay careful attention so that we have clarity, so that we have direction, so we have discernment and understanding, so we persevere and endure with hope and with patience as we wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled. But on that day, on that day when the morning star rises, on that day when Christ comes and we will be with him forever. Then, then, that which the scriptures bear witness to will be fulfilled in our presence and there will be rejoicing. You do well, he says, to pay attention to the scriptures. We need to keep studying them. We need to keep looking to God's word to remind ourselves of the certainty of his promises. We need, to, uh, we need to delight in the truth of the coming return of Christ. We need to pour over God's word so that it can instruct us in godliness and pursuing his way. We need to do it so that we might not be ashamed on that day. That we might be found when Christ returns about his business and not our own. And finally, Peter says the reason we should be diligent and give attention to the scriptures is that it is the very word of God. Look with me here at this, verse 20 and 21. Knowing this, First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from anyone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we're studying uh, um, a discipline called systematic theology, we'll often come to this passage to talk about the, the doctrine of uh, the inspiration of the Bible. And that's an important area to study, but we must not lose sight of what Peter's point is here in this text. 
the prophecy of Scripture that he's speaking about here is talking about the whole of, 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 of the Scriptures, the whole of the Bible. And he's saying it didn't come as a result of someone's own personal inter, uh, um, interpretation of certain events or of ideas. It didn't come about by the will of man. It wasn't that, um, that Peter and Paul and James, that they got down uh, or they set up time to sit down together um, uh, for coffee at Panera and said, you know, so what are we going to do? How are we going to come up with this whole Bible thing? That's, that's not how that happened. In fact, the scriptures, the Bible, was, was, was penned over the course of about 1,500 years across three continents by more than 40 human authors. And, and, and this passage helps us to understand how that worked. He says, no, rather men spoke from God. That is that God used the personality and the historical context of each of the human biblical authors, and he worked through them in order to write exactly what he had determined. And so we call this a verbal plenary inspiration. What that basically means is it's every word in all of its part, every single portion, every single letter of the Bible is inspired by God. It is all God's Word. And he tells us here the way that this happened is that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The uh, language that Peter uses here quite literally is of a, it's of a ship with a huge sail and that the, the wind is, is driving and directing the course of the ship. And so the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is driving along and directing every single word as Peter sat there shortly before his death and penned this letter, as Paul sat in a Roman prison cell and penned his epistles, as Moses uh, wrote down the first five books uh, every word, all of Scripture is inspired. It is the very Word of God. And so Peter reminds us here that we can have great confidence in the message because it's not made up. There's eyewitness account. The eyewitness account is it perfectly in keeping with the whole of the Old Testament and that all of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the very word of God. So amidst all of the other voices and all of the other noise, amidst all of the other messages and amidst those who say, oh, don't worry about it. That's all made up. The Bible stands head and shoulders above them all. And we do well to pay attention to what it says. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? First of all, friends, know that you can trust the Scriptures. Know that you can trust the Bible because they are God's Word. They are authoritative, which means that they are to be obeyed. They are inspired, which means that it is not as a result of any human will or decision to write these things, but it is God's very Word, and they are inerrant. That means that they are without error. 
If you're interested in studying a little bit more on this, a couple of different things, these first two, Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible by Erwin Lutzer or Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. These are fairly easy reads, but they're going to help you to understand a little bit more about this idea of the inspiration of the Bible, of how the Bible came about, and why we can uh, trust that, uh, uh, that, that it is indeed the, the revealed, authoritative uh, um, uh, word of God. Um, uh, if you want to dig a little more deeply, a, a little more uh, uh, um, uh, scholarly, uh, uh, into some of the different elements of it. This one's a great resource, The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible by B.B. Uh, uh, Warfield. Know and have confidence that when you pick this up, when you read it, as we pay attention to it, we have in our hands the very Word of God. True, faithful, reliable. You can trust the Scriptures but also, as Peter says, you do well to pay attention to the Scriptures because they are a light in this dark place. I don't know if you feel like you are in the midst of a dark place right now or not, but this journey through this life often leaves us feeling isolated, lonely, unsure, and uncertain. But God has not left us without provision. He has given us his word. It is a light to your path and a lamp to your feet. Pick it up. Read it. When I say, when I preach, bring your Bible with you. Or if you don't have your own, grab one and, 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 and as a gift from us. It's not because I'm trying to bludgeon anyone over the head with it. It's because I'm trying to get into your hands God's love letter to you. And I may be old-fashioned, but you know what? If you're not bringing it and opening it on a Sunday morning, I don't know that you're doing it during the rest of the week. And I want to encourage you to do that. Pay attention because he's given us his holy word. And as the background of this whole letter has to do with even when others mock you or don't see the point. Or say, ah, that's all made up. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep growing in godliness as you await that soon and coming day. we have his holy word pay attention to the scriptures because they are the word of God and they bear witness to the certainty of Christ's coming and friends if you're a follower of Jesus Christ keep looking to his coming because God has promised it, and his promise is sure. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We have covered a lot of ground this morning, and yet we need to be reminded of these things. I pray that 
you would give us a love and delight in your word. And that the more that we read and study it, the more that we would learn to love it and delight in it. Thank you that amidst so many voices, so many messages, so much noise, that you have given us a clear light and lamp to guide our steps. Forgive us for when we fail to use it and when we look instead to so many other things for perspective before we ever turn to your word. Lord, as we consider the truth of this passage and the reminder of Christ's soon and coming return, would you teach us to live in light of it, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to spur one another on that together we might continue to grow and to strengthen one another in the truth of his coming return. But also, Lord, we pray that you would give us a holy urgency, that you would remind us each day of the fact that judgment is coming, but the glorious truth of the gospel is that all who would turn to Christ and receive his gift of salvation would be saved. So keep that message ever on our tongues, we pray, that we might share it with others and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us.
for coming and we look forward to seeing you next week.